I'm so glad you're joining us uh, this weekend. Hopefully, if you have a Bible, your phone, you want to grab that and go to James chapter 3. That's kind of where we've been hanging out. And uh, we're in this conversation called Let's Talk Wisdom. And uh, what we're saying is we need some wisdom in our upside-down world. People, uh, we need people who can connect the dots, so to speak. Uh, we need people who can kind of connect the dots in this confusing and very chaotic time. Uh, sometimes you look at the world we live in and even simple things can feel complicated. So almost like we complicate the simple. Uh, I, I read this in a book. Uh, this article, this newspaper article, is a British newspaper article, says this, and see if you can't relate. Uh, it was talking about the government and how they were going to store warheads. And it says, it is necessary for technical reasons that these warheads should be stored with the top at bottom and the bottom at top. In order that there may be no doubt as to which is the top and which is the bottom for storage purposes, it will be seen that the bottom of each head has been labeled with the word top. Are you with me? I mean, I read that and I'm like, doesn't it feel sometimes like that's our world? It's like, which way's up? Right? And I think I said James, you get to James straight. I think he's like looking around. It's like, wow. You know, he's asking a question because he's seeing, he's looking around, he sees this chaos, disorder. The top seems like the bottom, the bottom seems like the top. Then there's corruption, there's compromise. But he's writing this to Christians and he's like looking around and they're real people. And he's like, man, I see you guys declaring that you believe and trust and follow God, but I don't see it demonstrated. It's not showing up. It's like a, a Monday through Saturday. Like, I hear you worshiping, you know, you're like praising God, holy, 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 like we sang. But he says the next minute you're kind of slandering each other, you're cursing each other. Like, he, he hears a lot of yelling, a lot of anger, not a lot of listening, not a lot of understanding. Uh, he looks around, he sees prejudice, favoritism, all these things, right? Rich, hoarding their wealth, poor, going ignored. He looks around and he sees, we said this every week so far, he sees that day what he would see today. And it leads him to ask this question in verse 13, chapter 3, James. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Great question. It's a question for today. He says, there's tons of people who would raise their hands. They would say they're wise and understanding. He said, their wisdom is driven by selfishness. It's driven by pride and envy and even political opinion. And he calls that an earthly wisdom. He says, there's this different wisdom. So wisdom from above, it's a real wisdom, like from God kind of wisdom. And so the way we've defined it is this, wisdom is walking with God. Uh, if you want to be wise, walk with the wise. There's no one wiser than God. And we walk with God in the hard times. We walk with God even when no one else is walking with God. And when we walk with God, we said this, that Jesus starts showing up. And it's less of me, more of Jesus. And what happens is that kind of wisdom, and boy, do we need that kind of wisdom, right? Shows up in this beautiful life. Not just a good moral life, but this beautiful life that knows how to connect the dots in relationships. That's what he's saying. If you want to know if you're wise, he's saying, look at your relationships. Now, last week we said it this way because he started off, we said, wisdom is devoted to loving God. That relationship, in a way that demonstrates God's love for others. See, Jesus said that it all boils down to two relationships, and so that's kind of what James is saying. 
It's like wisdom is devoted to loving God, and it shows up and demonstrates itself and results in me loving others. That's why he starts by saying what we covered last week. He says, but the wisdom, verse 17, that comes from heaven, this real wisdom, first of all, pure. It's devoted to the God who's devoted to me exclusively. He's the priority. It's a growing relationship. But I'm going to be humble and honest about my sin because I realize my sin isn't just breaking the rules. It's cheating on the relationship. That's what we said, right? That this wisdom is a beautiful life that loves God and it results in loving others. And this beautiful garden shows up in our relationships. And that leads James to go further. And this is what he says. He says, well, first of all, pure. Then look what he says. We're going to cover this today. Then peace-loving. You want to know if you're wise. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive. Let's just stop there for today. We'll pick it up next week and be on there. But I think these first three things cover kind of the attitude of my heart that if I'm devoted to God, I'm going to take into my relationships. Uh, When I'm walking with God, it's less of me, more of Jesus, more of the spirit of Jesus, the attitude of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, the mind of Jesus, and it weaves its way into my relationships. That's what he's saying. That Jesus kind of all of a sudden starts showing up in my relationships. And it's interesting to me, the first one he picks, he says this first of all, it's pure, then he says it's peace-loving. Like for some of your versions, it may say peaceable, right? But it's just peace-loving. Uh, What he's saying is when Jesus walks with me into the room of my relationships, kind of peace shows up. Which kind of begs the question before we go any further, when you look at your relationships, is that what you see? (laughs) Is it a garden where peace is kind of showing up? Now here's what I know. We've got to start here, okay? If wisdom is walking with God, it assumes something that I'm at peace with God. Let's just start there. If wisdom is walking with God, then it assumes that I'm at peace with God. Here's the problem. I, you, none of us can make peace with God. I hear this all the time. When people die, I hope they made their peace with God. You cannot make your peace with God. But the good news of the story of God is he makes peace possible for you and for me to have with him. He did that. That's why he sent Jesus. Here's what Romans 5 says. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God. How? through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came and absorbed everything that puts me at odds with God so that when I say yes to Jesus, then I'm at peace with God. And only when I'm at peace with God can I walk with God, and walking with God is wisdom, and that, here's the key, is the secret to in my life experiencing the peace of God. And it's also the power for me to extend peace to others. You see, wisdom's walking with God. And only in wisdom, having peace with God, walking with God, can I experience the peace of God inside of me. And I can have the power to extend it to others. Wisdom walks with God. It shows up in my life. What does it mean? I'd write this down somewhere. It means wisdom doesn't stir up drama. <laughs> Anybody amen out there? <laughs> you, you ever meet somebody? Like every, every, everywhere they go, every room they're in, like they're stirring up drama. They're excitable. You know, like, Hurricane Henrietta coming into the room, right? It's like everything's always stirred up. Everything's always chaotic, right? They're always creating anxiety. Here's the deal. I think what James is saying is, you want to know if you're around somebody who's wise, just look at them in a crisis. They're calm in the chaos. 
they're steady in the storm, right? There's somebody who I think uh, is measured when things get messy. You remember the disciples? Uh, I think it's in Luke 8. You can check me on that, but they're, they're on a boat and Jesus is with them in the storm and everything's chaotic. And there's one that's calm. Who's that? Jesus. He's like, hey, I'm here. Right? Here, here's the deal. Some people thrive on chaos, not calm. Some people love drama, not peace. Why? Because they live with an earthly wisdom and every crisis and chaos somehow revolves around them. Selfish, right? And so it always comes back to me and how it affects me. Well, what's the secret to peace in the middle of that? Well, Paul says something really interesting in Philippians chapter four. He's in jail when he's writing this. Just keep that in mind. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He's right here. It's key. So don't be anxious. Don't stir up drama about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And here it is. The peace of God surpasses understanding. People won't get it will guard, stand like a guard at your heart's door and your minds in Christ Jesus. He says, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, anything's excellent, worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard, seen in me, practice these things. And, and the what? What does he say? And the what? And the peace of God will be with you. I think what he's saying is when I begin to practice the presence of God or use our terms, when I'm walking with God, that's the secret to wisdom and experiencing the peace of God. And it guards my heart in every situation. He says, I'm going to think about these things. I'm going to remember the Lord's at hand. I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to listen to him. I'm going to put into practice what I'm hearing from him. That's what he's saying. And the peace of God guards my heart in whatever the situation. Here is what made me think. Let's just, uh, here at the church, we have a I am not very nimble when it comes to computers. I just don't, it's not instinctive, intuitive to me. Uh, computers, when I was a kid, I mean, you would fit one computer in a huge room. And now it's like you can carry around whatever. And it's like, it's just not intuitive. So we have a bunch of, most of the people around here are younger than me, right? And our guy who runs our IT department, his name's Mike right? And if you've never met Mike, like Mike is the steady Eddie, right? He's calm. And, and one of the things I love about Mike, when something's going wrong with my computer or technically, I always look around the room and Mike is the calmest guy in the room. And he's probably the only one who knows how to fix the problem, right? And so Mike's on our team. Mike's part of our staff. And because Mike is around, I, when my computer goes wonky, I don't get upset. You know why? Mike's here. Mike's here. And I think to myself, the peace of Mike is what guards my heart, right? Like I could just say, hey, Mike, my computer's going to turn on. I'll be right down, Dan, right? I, I, now, I think in a sense, Mike is not God, okay? Just so you know. But in a sense, what's going on here? He's saying walking with God is recognizing the presence of God is there. It's like when things go wonky, it's like he's at hand. He's right here. That's wisdom. I'm going to rejoice in his presence. I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to listen to him. The amount of times in the Bible where God and then subsequently Jesus in the New Testament says, fear not, 
And then he says, because I'm with you, is amazing. Look at this real quick, Isaiah 41. He says, so do not fear. Why? For I am with you. Don't be dismayed. I'm your God. I'll strengthen you, help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. Sometimes life's stormy, chaotic. The person who's truly wise is going to walk with God in every situation. They don't have to stir up drama. You know why? Because drama doesn't stir them up. Let me just take a minute and say this. There's been a lot of drama over the last couple of years. And when our world looks around in the middle of the drama, they need to find people that are riding through the waves of the drama on the boat with Jesus. Less of me, more of Jesus. Not people freaking out and anxious and angry and stirring up drama. But people who are riding on the boat and the waves of the drama with Jesus. That's wisdom. Now, there's another aspect to this, and that would be this. Uh, peace would be a, being a peace-loving person, be a piece of cake if it wasn't for people. Can I get an amen on that? <laughs> Usually when I talk about people, it's like, hey, you know, what do you do if you want to experience some peace and quiet? Usually it involves getting away from people, right? I'm going to go sit by a stream, go to the mountains, be by myself. Usually that's what it involves. Why? Because people... All of us, you, me, we all, are peace wreckers, right? Where you have people, you have conflict. Just is. Just is. And so you kind of think, well, how in the world do I show up walking with God, less of me, more of Jesus, in a peace-loving way in the middle of relationships with other people, all kinds of people? Uh, that's why I love this passage in Romans 12. You ever see this? It says, if it's possible, as far it depends on you, live what? At what? Peace with everyone. I'd write it down this way. I, I, I think uh, wisdom is not always looking for a fight. He says, where it's possible, live at peace with everyone. Wisdom isn't looking to stir up conflict. You ever meet somebody like everyone when it's like feels like they're always looking to stir up a fight? A chip on my shoulder kind of thing. You ever meet somebody like, don't look at them if they're in the room, right? But you ever meet somebody like, maybe you're a person like that. I think what he's saying is, nah, wisdom. That's not wisdom. Wisdom's peace-loving. Wisdom isn't looking to stir up a fight, isn't trying to create dissension. When I walk with God in relationships, I bring peace-loving into my relationships. Now, how does that look? Well, first of all, for those who are in the church, uh, God makes it clear that he wants us to protect the bond of peace that we have in Christ. He's very clear about that. To pursue peace with each other and to restore peace where it's broken. Now you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's never a problem in a church, is it? Followers of Jesus don't ever disagree, have conflict. Well, you'd be wrong, right? And that's why the, Paul wrote this to, to Christ followers, to church people. Look what he says. He says, make allowance for each other's faults. That's worth underlining. He says, and forgive anyone who offends you. Well, why would they offend you? Because they've got faults. And why would you offend them? Because you've got faults. Your faults will offend me. Remember, the Lord forgave you. That's the power to forgive. So you must forgive others. How can I forgive you? Well, I've been forgiven. Not because the preacher said, not because the Bible says even, but because God forgave. 
you in Christ. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you were called to live in peace. Always be thankful. What's Paul recognizing? He's like, Some, there's going to be times where the peace is going to be wrecked. So what's the secret in the church to being peace-loving? Well, I think the first thing, three things real quick I'd write down. I think in the church, it's like, if I want to be peace-loving, I'm going to remember we're all in process. God ain't done with me yet. I think that's what he's saying. Uh, what I would say to you is, don't be shocked at my imperfections. And I promise you then I won't be surprised at yours. I think that's what he's saying. He's saying we're all in process. Now here's the problem. Your faults, he said, make allowance for each other's faults. Your, a fault, your faults will be a burden to me, will create an offense to me, and vice versa. My faults do that to you. So what do I do when that happens? Particularly when it's evident that you are at fault or I am at fault and it creates an offense one way or the other. Well, I think it's the second thing. I'm going to remember we're all in process and then I'm going to admit my faults and forgive your offenses. Like, the first thing I'm going to do is look, where am I wrong? Where, where can I come and be humble enough to confess my sin? The same guy James says something interesting when it comes to confessing our sins. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be off the hook. That's not what he says. He says something interesting here. So that you may be healed. Our offenses, when they're not cared for and faults that happen like this, when we don't forgive and we don't acknowledge and confess, it creates almost like a disease that steals peace. That disease wrecks peace in the body. And so how do I, what do I do? Well, I confess when I'm wrong, I admit my faults. And when you come to me, I forgive your offense. What keeps me from doing that? Pride. By the way, the very same pride that keeps me from wanting to confess when I'm wrong is the very same pride, other side of the coin, that keeps me from forgiving when somebody comes to me and asks for forgiveness. It's interesting, isn't it? Like, wisdom is peace-loving. I'm going to admit my faults, forgive your offenses, and then I'm going to elevate the relationship. I'm going to elevate the relationship above the conflict. That would be the third thing that I would write down in your notes. I'm going to somehow... Put the relationship above whatever the conflict is. Jesus said, man, we got something against each other. Uh, in, in Matthew 5 through 7, he preaches a sermon. He says, if you, you get to church and you realize your brother has something against you, like he has the audacity to say, make the first move. Before you sing the first song, go talk to your brother. Like he's like the relationship. And he says, make it a priority. Be driven by making us right instead of proving that you're right. Like I want the relationship to be right. Kind of begs the question then, how do I be peace loving in the world? Because not everybody's a follower of Christ. That works in the church then. We're going to follow Jesus. That's great. But what about people that are cruel and that, that just persecute and hate and whatever? They don't believe what we believe, whatever it might be. Well, I'm, I'm struck. I want to show you this. I'm struck by the zip code that Romans 12, 18 is in. Look what it says here. Um, Romans 12, 
says, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Uh-oh. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, there's our verse, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge, I'll repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, tweet really mean, angry things about them. That's not what it says. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll keep burning coals on his head, right? Heaping burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What's he saying? Well, I think this whole idea of peace-loving is I'm going to respond to cruelty in our world with kindness. That's what he's saying. I want the gospel and the way God responds to us to drive. And then I think the second thing I would write down somewhere is I'm going to let God settle the score. Write this down somewhere in your, in your nose on a piece of paper. When you try to settle the score, you always lose. When you try to settle the score, you forfeit what matters most. You lose. But I remember the score was settled at the cross. And so when I respond to their cruelty with kindness, I'm pointing to the same place where my score was settled and where peace with God was achieved. You see how that works? The gospel is what drives me. And then I think this to myself. I think to myself, Romans or uh, Proverbs 12, 18 says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. I'm going to be a healer, not a divider. Right? I want somehow my words to be a healer, not a divider. James, in James chapter 3, he's writing this whole thing in the context of their words kind of had gotten away from them, and they were just destroying and wrecking people with their words. And I think what God is saying, a fool or a foolish person will wreck people with his words, whether verbally from his mouth or through his fingers on a tweet or a post or whatever it might be. He said, that's what a foolish person would do. It doesn't matter even how much they know, how intellectual they are, how much power they have. A foolish person wrecks people with their words. But a wise person, their words are like healing. They're like, they're like ointment to a wound. They're like something that unites, doesn't divide. He says, he says wisdom's peace-loving. Now, I'll be honest, the next two won't take as long on because I think they just kind of underscore peace-loving. I think they just kind of describe it a little more. Look what he says. I don't know how, what version of the Bible you're reading from, but it says it's considerate. Uh, that word in the Greek means gentle, equitable, fair. One theologian said it's gentle manliness. It's like where we get the word gentleman, you know? He says gentle manliness. I'm like, that's interesting. That's this unique texture. What's he talking about there? He's talking about wisdom. It's considerate. What's that mean? Well, I think it means several things. There's texture to this word. First, I think it means this, this idea of being gentle and considerate. Uh, I think it means this, wisdom's going to give up my rights for others' needs. Like, if I want to know if I'm wise, am I willing to give up my rights for someone else's needs? A wise person surrenders his or her rights for a higher ideal. We live at a time everybody's fighting for their rights. Everybody's offended because their rights are being infringed on. Yet real wisdom, real wisdom from above is willing to 
voluntarily surrender his or her, her rights for something higher. I wrote it in my notes this way. Earthly wisdom is passionate about my rights. I'm going to spend my life fighting for my rights. Wisdom from above that comes from God is passionate about your needs. Go ahead and stop, stop, the, st stop this and, and write that down. And even if you disagree with it, let it percolate. Earthly wisdom, selfish ambition, pride, envy, bitterness is passionate about my rights. But a godly wisdom from above, I'm passionate about your needs. You're saying, Dan, well, where are you getting that? Well, doesn't it make sense if I'm going to walk with God? I'm walking with a God who showed up in the flesh. And guess what it says? That he gave up his rights to meet my deepest need. Philippians 2. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others, that's wisdom, as better than yourselves. Our world says, that's stupid. Look out for you. So that's wisdom. Don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Why? Because I want Jesus to show up in your life. I want you to walk with God so there's less of you, more Jesus. You must have the same attitude that Christ had. Though he was God, didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up that divine privilege, took the humble position of a slave, born as a human being, appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God, died a criminal's death. Wisdom's walking with that God, that same God, and that when I walk with that God, more of that Jesus starts to show up in me. It, it, that's how this happens. It's the power of the message of the gospel found in Jesus that begins to show up, and that's what gives me the power. So I'm going to voluntarily surrender my rights for something greater, namely your needs. I think it means something else. I, I, I think this idea of considerate, I was reading one commentary, so it's, it's this idea of, I, I'm, I'm going to give others the benefit of the doubt. Man, do we need that? Who is wise and understanding among you, those who have the wisdom to give others the benefit of the doubt? Uh, this has the idea that real wisdom is going to see the best in others when it can. I, really, I know everybody's going to have an anecdote they're going to send me, right? But what about... I'm gonna see. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna try to put myself in their position. Uh, the lady that I talked about last week, I did her funeral two weeks ago. Uh, her husband said that when he thought of her, he thought of Jesus. Well, her children began to tell stories, and two of them told stor stories where she would look at her kids, and she would say, "Whatever you do, every person you meet." She said, don't draw a conclusion until you put yourself in their shoes. That's wisdom. That's wisdom that's considerate. I'm going to put myself in someone else's shoes. Uh, I, I, I thought several things to myself. I, I thought this last week. I was convicted by this this last week, by the way. I was coming. I'm not going to tell you where I was coming in case you're the person that I was behind, Okay. But I was coming on a road here in Akron, and there was a woman in front of me that was driving so slow, and I think she might have been texting or talking on the phone, and she was really slowing me up, and she wasn't paying. I didn't, you know, I was frustrated. Anybody ever 
You never get that way, do you? Right? I was frustrated. Man, I'm like, oh man, she should, what do you get off the road? And I can't believe, and I was just kind of really, really frustrated. Wanted to get home, had a late night, wanted to just get home. And I remember I drove, pulled around for the first opportunity I had, blew the horn, like, what are you doing, you know? And like, off I went, right? And if that was you, I'm sorry, that was me. I was the fool. <laughs> because I think wisdom says this, God, would you help me remember? that the jerk who cut me off last night in traffic might be a single mom who worked nine hours that day and is rushing home to cook dinner, help with homework, do the laundry, and spend a few precious moments with her kids. I think wisdom that's considered might come to God and say, God, would you help me remember that tattooed, disinterested young man who cannot make my change correctly might be a worried 19-year-old college student paying his own way through school He's apprehensive over his final exams and he's not sure whether he's going to afford next semester or not. I think that's considerate. I think wisdom that's considerate might look at that scary-looking bum begging for money, same spot every day, who I drive by and say, that guy needs to get a job, and begin to say, God, would you help me remember he might be a slave to addictions that I can't even begin to imagine in my worst nightmares? I think wisdom is considerate might say, God, would you help me remember that that old couple who I got behind in the grocery store that's walking so annoyingly slow, blocking my shopping progress. They're savoring this moment because based on her last biopsy report, this might be the last year they can go shopping together. I honestly think that's what James is saying. Good wisdom's considerate. It's willing to put itself in somebody else's shoes. It's peace-loving. It's considerate. I'm gonna give somebody the benefit of the doubt. I'm gonna surrender my rights for, my rights for uh, the other people's needs. And then he says this, we're in today. It's submissive. Man, that word has some texture to it. It's, when you look it up and you realize, get underneath the, the meaning of it. It's like this submissive, ready to obey, compliant, and well-persuaded, open to reason. Uh, versions are all over the place. I don't know what version you're willing to yield, easy to be entreated, uh, open to reason, compliant. It's able to be coached and led well. What does he mean here? Two things really quick. If you're taking notes, I'd write this down. Wisdom. You want to know if you're wise? Look at how you respond to authority. Wisdom recognizes and responds appropriately to those in authority. I think that's what he's saying. Um, a guy named Peter, we talked about this several months back. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. So you can put it in there, as an act of worship to Jesus. Because Jesus is showing up in your life. Because you're walking with God. That's wisdom to what? Every human authority let me just say, I don't need to make a big point of this, but wisdom shows up in the way I respond to authority. You want to know if someone's wise, watch how they respond to authority, listen to how they talk about authority. You ever been around somebody who can't keep a job because their boss, every boss they have is, you know what I'm talking about. You want to know if somebody's wise, watch how they respond to their parents, if they're a child. 
you're a teenager. You want to know somebody's wise, watch how you respond to your coach, your teacher. You want to know how somebody's wise, watch how they respond to the coach or you fill in the blank. I'll say this, and you write it down, an anti-authority Christ follower is a fallacy. Because by virtue of what it means to say yes to Jesus, we are placing ourselves under his authority. So somebody who, I just have a problem with authority, is going to have a problem with the lordship of Jesus in their life. It's okay if that kind of stirs you up a little bit. I'm okay with that. It stirs me up, right? But but it's true. That's what he's saying. He says, for the Lord's sake, we let me say it this way. We make Jesus make sense in the way that we respond to authority. One of our passions is we live to make Jesus make sense. And one of the ways we do that is how we respond to authority. It doesn't even mean we have to agree with that authority. But how we respond to them. Jesus starts to show up. And, and then Peter really kind of gets under our skin. Because he's like, well, let me give you an example. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors. And no rose-colored glasses here. He's talking about Nero. And if you don't know about Nero, Google, study. Nero's relationship with Christians. <laughs> Peter's saying wisdom shows up in being good citizens who recognize and respond to authority. In fact, if you read what Peter says, he says followers of Jesus who are walking with God and where Jesus is showing up, we silence, he literally says, we silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Not by our good arguments. Not by our convincing tweets. Not by our passionate posts. He says we silence the foolish talk of ignorant people by our good lives that recognize and respond to authority in a way that walks with God. Where Jesus shows up. Are you tracking with me? <laughs> That's what he's saying. Which leads to, to maybe the last thing, and we just landed. Because this word submissive can also kind of uh, open up the idea of open to reason. And I think it says this, and maybe this is where I leave us today, pick it up next week. That wisdom, this wisdom from above, is willing to listen and even dialogue with those who disagree. It's open to reason. Anyone out there, raise your hand here, notice we've stopped talking to each other and we've started talking at each other. Anybody notice that? Raise your hand. <laughs> like, like when that happens, you know what that means when we start talking at each other instead of with each other? That means nobody's listening. <laughs> and the same James says this, chapter 1, around about verse 19. He says, be quick to what? Anybody know? Quick to, if you know, say it out loud. Quick to, oh, you've read it. Listen, slow to what? Speak, slow to what? Become angry. It's interesting to me because I feel like many times we've stopped listening to each other. There's this insecure defensiveness that rears up. And I know what some of you already are thinking to yourself. I know, but Dan, I know that I'm right. I want you to write this down somewhere. History, church history, will prove this point out if you just study it. You can be right 
and not wise. And what James is asking is this, who's wise and understanding? Opinions that are right, that aren't delivered with wisdom, are going to lose their platform of influence in our culture. Opinions that are right, that are not delivered with wisdom from above, will lose their platform of influence. Which leads James to say wisdom is first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, and submissive. And then he asks the question. So, online crowd, Grace Church, Norton Campus, who is wise and understanding among you? God, I pray that you would find some of us where that kind of wisdom shows up in a beautiful life, in a beautiful life with fruitful relationships. Allow this passage to challenge us, lean into us however you desire, God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.